The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hey everybody, uh, welcome. Uh, we begin our Advent series this week, and Advent will take us all the way through Christmas. And our Advent series theme is hope. Hope. In the movie Hunger Games, there's a character named President Snow, played by Donald Sutherland. And there's a point where he says, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. Hope is the only thing stronger than fear. What a great quote. If there was ever a time where we needed something stronger than fear, it's been this year, 2020. And that's what we hope will happen in this series. You know, one of our great Christmas traditions here at CCC actually begins with Thanksgiving. And that's when we hand out the Thanksgiving baskets. We call them baskets. They're really these big plastic tubs where we, we pack it with enough food to give a Thanksgiving feast to at least 10 people. This year, we handed out 1,420 of those tubs and I just want to say, holy cow, thanks so much. You guys respond in just amazing ways, even when we're just online. You guys have responded so well with that, which means that 1,420 times people heard a knock on their door. And when they opened the door, there was somebody standing there with a big tub saying, when you thought no one cared, you were wrong because we care. When you thought no one was coming, you were wrong because we have come. And in each one of those tubs, we also put one of these books that we created called Life Reimagined. And what we were doing was we were giving them hope. We were smuggling hope into their home in the midst of yams and stuffing because what that family may not realize is what they needed more than a Thanksgiving meal was hope. And the reason for that is that every human being works on hope. All of us do. You know, we have uh, captured that with these four geometrical shapes. The Bible's a story. It's a true story, but it's a story with kind of like a, a play with four acts. And those acts are captured by these four geometrical shapes and four words. The first geometrical shape is the square. And the square represents completion. When things were perfect, the world as it ought to be. And every human being has this feeling that there is a way that things ought to be. There is a way that human beings ought to treat each other and ought to be treated. There's a way that the world ought to work. The second shape is a triangle. And the triangle is a part of a square. It's a shard. It's a brokenness. And it represents what is. 
And we all realize that the world is not the way it ought to be, that what we have is a brokenness, a wrongness. You know, my mother just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And even though she was 90, there's something about that that is just so wrong. We're not built for death. People who try to say that death is just a natural part of life haven't experienced a funeral, really, where it's someone they really care about because we're not meant to say goodbye through death. And that second triangle represents hope. It's what we all look to, to maybe make that world that we have more complete, more the way it ought to be, more of the ideal, and that's the last square. Square, triangle, triangle, square. Ought is hope and ideal. And if you're like me, it means you can look back on your life and you can look at different times where you had a hope that you were kind of trusting in to make your life more complete. And it's almost comical if you look back far enough. Like when I was in high school, I, I played basketball. And uh, really, I played basketball not just because I loved the sport, but because it was my hope. I remember uh, when I was a junior, you know, I went to a, a high school in Orlando, Florida. And uh, in my high school, the captain of the basketball team was like the king of the school. When I was a junior, the captain of the basketball team was a guy named Dennis Cox. And I remember seeing Dennis uh, outside the gym as school ended, and he had already changed into his practice uniform. So he was sitting on a, you know, on a, on a picnic bench, and he was just watching people go by. And the prettiest girls of our school would go up to Dennis when he was sitting there waiting for practice to begin. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be Dennis next year. Because I thought, if I could, then that would make my life kind of come together. Maybe you have something like that from high school. And then you move to marriage, and a lot of people thought, oh, marriage would be the thing that would complete me, like Tom Cruise in that movie where he says, you complete me. Or it could be a first job or a promotion in the job. And for some people, it ends up being retirement or the empty nest. And we keep looking for things to give us hope, and they just don't last. And the thing I love about the passage in Isaiah is that he likens hope to light. And what he says is that people who live in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the shadows, a light will dawn on them. Because light acts, if light is like hope, then light is the hope that really answers all darkness and all issues. There are a couple observations I want to make about this passage, and we'll be done. The first observation is that this story begins with darkness. The Christmas story begins with darkness with brokenness. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it, it doesn't silver line things. There's a reality to the even the Christmas story because the Christmas story really begins with, uh, with Joseph and Mary and Jesus fleeing a homicidal paranoid maniac named Herod who slaughters babies in a little town to try to get rid of a potential rival. In some ways, it's just crazy, the brokenness. And yet, 
that's where the Christmas story begins. One of the things that the world really understands is our problems, our darkness. And we all know it. We just went through a whole political season where both candidates campaigned on solving the problems that everyone knows are there. We have problems with COVID. We have problems with death. We have problems with disease. We have problems with racism and classism and sexism and all the other isms. We have all kinds of, what's interesting is this, that when Jesus came, the Greeks decided that the way to deal with the problems of the world was education. Zach preached a sermon a few weeks ago about Paul going to Athens, which was kind of the center of learning of the entire world. The Greeks thought if people, if enough people got educated, then that would deal with the issues, with the deepest problems of the world. The Jews, on the other hand, they put their hope in politics. They thought if only we had the right leader and if only the right leader had enough power, then he could solve the problems. And it just makes me smile because I think we do the same thing today. We have people that say, oh, education. And education can solve a lot of problems. But it doesn't seem to be able to solve the deepest problems of the human heart. Politics can solve a lot of problems, but politics can't solve the deepest problems of the human heart. And Isaiah comes and says, you want to solve the deepest problems of the heart, it has to hit you like light in the midst of darkness. And the thing that I like about that is that that's kind of a one-size-fits-all solution because light always conquers darkness. So it doesn't matter what kind of darkness you have, what kind of problems you have in your life, where you need hope. If I have lights on in my house in the midst of the night and I open up my front door, darkness doesn't flood in. Light always goes out. Because light always wins. Always, always. That's the first observation. The second observation is the light doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us that we can't solve our own problems. The Bible is not a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of religion. You know, when people say, you know how the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, the Bible never says that. The Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says you can't help yourself. That's why you need a savior. And that's why in this passage, it says that a child shall be born to us. A son is given to us that Christmas itself is a gift, that Jesus is a gift that comes from outside of us to actually solve our problems for us, to give us real hope. Because hope is only as strong as what you put your hope in. And whenever I'm watching TV and I see a drama, I cringe whenever a character makes a promise to give hope. And they say to somebody, uh, I I promise I'll, I'll come back. They're going into danger. And I always just go, you can't promise that. You don't have the power for that. Or they'll say, I promise I will bring him out back alive. And I always think, what a crazy thing to say because you can't promise that. And hope, you're giving a false hope because hope is only as strong as the one in which you hope. Right? So how do we know? 
How many know what Isaiah says is true, that light will shine in darkness, that a child has been born for us, a son has been given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. How do you know you can have a wonderful counselor? An everlasting father, a prince of peace, and the government uh, the, uh, will rest on his shoulders forever. How do you know that? That's why I love the last phrase in that passage where it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. I looked up the word zeal. It means passion. And I think, how strong is the passion of the Lord of hosts? And that took me to one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, in John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus has died. And I love this story because it's so complex. Lazarus dies. He's a friend of Jesus. Jesus waits until Lazarus has been dead for four days. Then he shows up. And you, you know that Jesus is going to do something spectacular. Jesus knows he's going to do something spectacular. But Jesus stops and he weeps. And before he tells them to roll away the stone, it says that he was deeply moved and he wept again. You know, there are some Greek words that aren't very well translated into English. This is one of those Greek words. Because we translate it, he was deeply moved in his spirit. The Greek word is actually a word that we, you would use to describe a bull snorting. That, that there was so much passion inside of Jesus, anger, a love, right? Uh, energy that it was like boiling over in him. Then he stands up and he says, move away the stone. Because Lazarus was buried in a cave that was dark. And then Jesus, with all that zeal, shouts, Lazarus, come forth. I remember reading a scholar who said the reason that Jesus said his name, Lazarus, come forth, instead of just saying, come forth, because if Jesus had just said, come forth, every dead thing in the entire universe would spring to life. So strong was the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Listen, Jesus comes for you. If in this year, the year of 2020, the year of COVID, the year of isolation, the year of struggle, if hope is what you need, then it's Jesus the one that you're looking for. Jesus is the one who comes for you. Jesus is the one that God promised way back in Isaiah when he said, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And he says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Whatever brokenness you have in your life, there is hope for you. Because Jesus comes for you. Next week, we'll talk more about this hope that God has given in Jesus.